We served our country like those before us. It was a dangerous era. All of Vietnam was dangerous. The carnage of war left an indelible mark on me. We came back and built lives. As time went on, we faced new challenges and found support to handle them. I went to the VA, talked to my doctor. I started doing groups. I started doing one-on-one -on -one counseling. At maketheconnection.net, you can hear our stories and find tools and services available to you. This is WGBB AM 1240 and W240DFFM 95.9 Freeport, New York. The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York tonight on WGBB here in Merrick, Long Island, New York. Bill Donahue here. I'm taking you through the first hour on this Sunday night, the seventh day of November 2021. Our engineer, Brian Graves, is ready, and he's ready to rock and roll with us tonight. We've got a great show lined up for you tonight. Leading off, we'll talk Hall of Fame. Upcoming votes on the Golden Era Committees as well as the Baseball Writers Association of America. Those are both coming up uh, in the near future, so we'll discuss that. Bobby Nystrom was due to join us tonight at 8 p.m., but he had some family commitments crop up at the last minute today. We hope to bring Bobby to you in the near future. After Hall of Fame talk, we'll switch gears and welcome in another Hall of Famer, not a Hall of Famer from Cooperstown or Canton or Springfield, or Toronto, but a Hall of Famer from Cleveland. We welcome in the drummer from the newly inducted Go-Go's, Gina Schock. She's going to join us at approximately 8.30. So sit back, relax, get comfortable, enjoy Sports Talk New York tonight on GBB. we got some great memories up ahead tonight. Social media. We are out there. We're on Facebook. You can find sports information, show information, so much more. Stop by. Give us a look. Give us a like. We are on LinkedIn. And we are also on Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk. And you can follow me on Twitter at B Donahue, WGBB, all one word. Check me out. And you can give me a follow. And I will follow you in return. So right now, we are going to talk about the Hall of Fame. Let me get uh, my notes together here for you folks. The uh, early baseball and golden days era committees is what they're calling it. Uh, the nominees for those have been announced. Uh, Ten-person ballots that will be considered by both of these committee for a Hall of Fame election for the class of 2022. These committees will both meet on December 5th at the winter meetings in Orlando, Florida, and we'll find out what the results are then. Uh, I believe it will be on MLB uh, Network, and we'll get that news. Uh, seven Negro Leagues and pre-Negro Leagues legends and three American League National League stars comprise the 10-name early baseball ballot which features uh, candidates' primary con contribution to the game, 
came prior to 1950, the Golden Days Era Committee, which you guys will be more familiar with. Those considers candidates whose primary contribution to the game came from 1950 to 1969. Now, the early baseball era ballot includes Bill Dolan, John Donaldson, Bud Fowler, Vic Harris, Grant Home Run Johnson, uh, a candidate who I thought should have been in the Hall of Fame a while ago, Lefty O'Doul, Buck O'Neill, a real viable candidate who probably will make it, uh, Dick Cannonball Redding, the Big Chief, Allie Reynolds from the New York Yankees, and George Tubby Scales. Isn't that nice, Tubby? Yes, he will be up for consideration. All of these candidates are deceased, so they will have uh, whoever gets uh, elected, if anybody, will have representatives of their family giving a speech for them in Cooperstown next summer. Now, the Golden Days era ballot, and these uh, you may be more familiar with, guys that are that are around my age, Dick Allen, Kenny Boyer, the great Gil Hodges, he's due, and it's a travesty that he's not in the Hall of Fame yet, folks. Jim Cott, Roger Maris. Minnie Minoso, Danny Murtaugh, Tony Oliva, Billy Pierce, and rounding out the list is Maury Wills. Of, of that group, as you may know, Jim Cott, Tony Oliva, and Maury Wills are living. The rest are deceased. Now, as I said, the results of both of these committees will be announced live on MLB uh, tonight at 6 p.m. on Sunday, December 5th. Now, what happens is any candidate who receives votes on 75% of the ballots cast by either 16-member committee will earn election to the Hall of Fame and be inducted into Cooperstown on July 24th, 2022, next summer. And that's along with any electees who emerge from the 2022 Baseball Writers Association of America election, and that will be announced on January 25th, 2022. So mark that down on your calendar, and hopefully if we have time, we'll discuss some of the new people who are on the ballot for this year, along with those returning and how many uh, tries they have left. Now... The National Baseball Hall of Fame's Board of Directors, they convened a special early baseball overview committee of 10 historians to develop the early baseball era committee's 10-person ballot. And that special early baseball overview committee consists of five Negro Leagues historians and five veteran members of the Baseball Writers Association of America who had previously served on the Hall of Fame's Historical Overview Committee. Those guys are an esteemed bunch of uh, sports writers. Uh, we'll get to their names if, if we have time. Let's look at the 10 candidates for the early baseball era uh, committee consideration for the class of 2022. First, as I mentioned, Bill Dolan. He spent 21 seasons in the majors from 1891 to 1911. He played almost 90% of his games at shortstop. He compiled, compiled a 272 batting average with 84 home runs, 1,234 RBIs. 
He scored 100 or more runs in each of his first six seasons and recorded 120 or more hits 15 times. He retired in 1911 as the active home run leader with 84. Imagine that. And as the all-time leader in games played with 2,444 games. That's Bill Dolan. Now, John Donaldson, he pitched in the Negro Leagues and pre-Negro Leagues for more than 30 years. Uh, earned a, a reputation as one of the best pitchers in the game. He also played the outfield and was a manager. Donaldson helped establish the barnstorming business. That was a model that was profitable for black teams for decades. Bud Fowler, often acknowledged as the first black professional baseball player, having pitched and played second base for teams in more than a dozen leagues throughout his career. After spending part of his youth in Cooperstown, Fowler grew up to excel on the diamond and later helped form the successful Page Fence Giants barnstorming team. Next, we have Vic Harris, who played 18 seasons in the Negro Leagues, primarily as a left fielder for the great Homestead Grays. He compiled a 305 batting average, was known as one of the most aggressive base runners in the Negro National League. He also managed the Grays for 11 seasons, winning seven Negro League National League pennants and the 1948 World Series. Next up, Grant Home Run Johnson was a shortstop and second baseman in the pre-Negro Leagues era who helped form the Page Fence Giants. Google that, folks, the Page Fence Giants barnstorming team. Grant Home Run Johnson was a powerful hitter and occasional pitcher. He played for early powerhouse teams like the Brooklyn Royal Giants and the New York Lincoln Giants. A very viable candidate who I mentioned earlier is Lefty O'Doul. He played 11 seasons with the Yankees, Red Sox, Giants, Phillies, and the Dodgers, winning two National League batting titles. Now, he compiled a 349 career batting average, with his four, which is fourth best all time in the AL and National League history. After his playing days, O'Doul managed in the Pacific Coast League was credited with more than 2,000 victories. In 1932, Lefty O'Doul and other players traveled to Japan where they instructed college students on the intricacies of the game. He returned to Japan several more times throughout the decade and then multiple times after World War II, becoming really a beloved figure in the history of Japanese baseball. Uh, really considered one of the fathers of Japanese baseball. That's Lefty O'Doul. As I said, 349 career batting average, fourth best all time. Buck O'Neill, another name that should make it into Cooperstown. He played 10 seasons with the Memphis Red Sox and the Kansas City Monarchs of the Negro American League, named to three all-star games. Following his playing career, Buck became a scout for the Chicago Cubs and later became the first black coach in American League or National League history with Chicago. He scouted for teams much of the rest of his career, and Buck became a beloved ambassador for the game who helped found the Negro League's Baseball Museum in Kansas City. As you may recall, we had Bob Kendrick, the president and CEO 
of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum on the program uh, a month or two ago. Next up, Dick Cannonball Redding was regarded as perhaps the fastest pitcher in National League's history, hurling for teams such as the Lincoln Giants, the Chicago American Giants, and the Brooklyn Royal Giants. He's credited with multiple no-hitters. Redding was also a a successful manager with the Royal Giants. The Big Chief, Allie Reynolds, was a 182-107 career record over 13 years with the Indians and Yankees. Six all-star team selections. One of really the all-time great Yankees. He led his team to six World Series titles, going 7-2 with a 2.79 ERA. He twice finished in the top three of the American League's Most Valuable Player Award. That's the Big Chief, Allie Reynolds. Finally, we'd have George Tubby Scales, who played 20 seasons in the Negro Leagues as an infielder. He compiled a 319 batting average and a 421 on base percentage. He also managed for six seasons in the Negro Leagues and 12 seasons in the Puerto Rican Winter League, leading the San Terce team to the Caribbean World Series title in 1951. That is the early era. Uh, nominees will now take a look at the 10 candidates for the golden era consideration for the class of 2022 names that, uh, you, you should, uh, recognize. And as I mentioned to somebody today, it's really, uh, guys my age, it's your baseball cards coming to life and, uh, being considered for Cooperstown. First, there's Dick Allen. He played 15 seasons from 63 to 77 for five teams, spending nine seasons with the Phillies. He compiled 351 home runs, 1,119 RBIs, and hit 292 for his career. He was named the 1972 AL Most Valuable Player with the White Sox and the 1964 NL Rookie of the Year with the Philadelphia Phillies. Seven career all-star selections. That's Dick Allen. Kenny Boyer, an ex-Met, played 15 seasons as a third baseman with the Cards, the Mets, the White Sox, and the Dodgers, earning 11 all-star game selections and winning the 1964 National League Most Valuable Player Award en route to leading the Cardinals to a world championship. That's Kenny Boyer, one of the Boyer brothers. And here's the man that, as I said, it's a travesty. He's not in Cooperstown already. It's Gil Hodges, named to eight All-Star games in an 18-year big league career as a first baseman with the Dodgers and the Mets, winning three gold gloves and leading the Dodgers to seven National League pennants and two World Series titles. And as we know, as a manager, Gil led the 1969 Miracle Mets to the World Series title. Gilbert Raymond Hodges is uh, up for consideration for the Hall of Fame in 2022. I just wanted to mention Dick Allen had three seasons of 100 or more RBIs. Gil Hodges had seven seasons in a row of 100 or more RBIs. So just a, a fact for you to consider. Jim Cott. He pitched for 25 seasons with the Senators, the Twins, the White Sox, 
the Phillies, Yankees, and Cardinals. He won 283 games over the course of four different decades. Cott was named to three All-Star games and helped the Cardinals win the 1982 World Series. Jim Cott. The great Roger Maris. He won back-to-back American League Most Valuable Player Awards in 60 and 61. He set a new single-season home run record in the latter season with 61. In 12 big league seasons with the Indians, the A's, the Yankees and Cardinals, Maris earned seven All-Star Game selections and was part of three World Series title teams. That's Roger Maris. Minnie Minoso. He played 17 seasons with the Indians, the White Sox, the Cards, and the Senators. He earned nine American League National League All-Star Game selections and won three gold gloves as an outfielder. He's a Cuban native, Minnie. He blazed a trail for Latin American players in the big league starting in the 1950s, Minnie Minoso. Danny Murtaugh, he managed the Pittsburgh Pirates to four National League East titles, two National League pennants, and World Series wins in 1960 and 1971, over 15 seasons at the helm of the Pirates. He fielded the first all-black Hispanic lineup in big league history on September 1st, 1971. Murtaugh compiled a 1,115 and 950 record with five first place finishes, Danny Murtaugh. Uh, a past guest of the program, Tony Oliva, a great hitter, played 15 seasons for the Twins, winning three batting titles and leading the American League in hits five times. He was named to eight All-Star Games and won the 1964 AL Rookie of the Year Award. That's the great Tony Oliva. Next up, Billy Pierce. He compiled a 211-169 record with the 3.27 ERA. He played 18 seasons, 13 of those with the Chicago White Sox. A seven-time All-Star, he led the league in complete games, three straight seasons, totaling 193 overall. He posted the lowest ERA in the American League in 1955 with a 1.97 mark. That's Billy Pierce. Finally, Maury Wills. Played 14 seasons from 1959 to 72, 12 of those with the Los Angeles Dodgers, with a 281 lifetime average and 586 career stolen bases. Really revolutionized the stolen base, Maury Wills. In 1962, he was the National League MVP, seven-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove Award at shortstop. Maury Wills. Now, about these era committees, they consist of four different electorates, the the different committees. Today's game, whose uh, greatest contributions were realized from 1988 to the present, there's the Modern Baseball Committee. Stay with this. This is complicated. (laughs) For candidates whose greatest contributions to baseball were from 1970 to 1987, the Golden Days Committee, which is the the guys we just discussed, 
candidates whose greatest contributions to baseball were 1950 to 1969 and early baseball, which were the guys we discussed first for candidates whose greatest contributions to baseball were realized prior to 1950. Uh, the, the Golden Days Committee won't meet again until 2027. The early baseball era returns for induction uh, consideration in 2032. So uh, there's a, a lot of leeway here. There's, there's a lot of time difference between some of these committees. As we could probably see here that Hodges and Maris they're up for election this year, but it looks like they won't be back again until 2027 on the ballot, if at all, if they're nominated at all. So uh, just something to consider. Uh, now, now we'll take a look at the p- potential Hall of Fame ballots for 2022. Now, some of these guys are returning. Some of them are first time on the ballot. Kurt Schilling will... Uh, We'll go in, in order of percentage of votes uh, for last year. Kurt Schilling, 10th uh, year on the ballot. He garnered 71.1% of the vote last year. Barry Bonds, his 10th year on the ballot, 61.8% of the vote. Roger Clemens, his 10th year on the ballot, 61.6% of the vote. Will they get enough support from the Baseball Writers Association of America to gain election to Cooperstown in 2022. Up next, Scott Rowland with 52.9%, Omar Vizquel with 49.1%, Billy Wagner at 46.4%, Todd Helton at 44.9%, Gary Sheffield at 40.6, Andrew Jones at 33.9%, Jeff Kent, 32.4%, Manny Ramirez, 28.2%, Sammy Sosa, his 10th year on the ballot, 17% last year, Andy Pettit at 13.7%, Mark Burley, 11%, Tory Hunter at 9.5%, Bobby Abreu at 8.7, and Tim Hudson at 5.2. Now, the guys who will be first-time eligibles in 2022 include Carl Crawford, Prince Fielder, Ryan Howard, Tim Lincecum, Joe Nathan. Here's where it gets interesting. David Ortiz. Will the specter of steroids keep David Ortiz out of Cooperstown? Jonathan Papelbon, Jake Peavy, A.J. Pruszynski. Here's another one, Alex Rodriguez. What do you think of A-Rod as a candidate for the Hall of Fame? He was a three-time MVP, 14-time All-Star, 10-time Silver Slugger. The stats are there, but uh, the 696 home runs, again, tainted by the specter of performance-enhancing drugs. Jimmy Rollins next. Mark Teixeira rounds out the new ballots for 2022. 
What do you think of those guys? What about uh, Manny Ramirez? What about Ryan Howard? Tim Lincecum? Uh, as I said, David Ortiz. So, some uh, interesting names there to consider. Uh, then we'll look quickly at 2023. There's Beltron who comes up for election. What about the cheating scandal? Will that uh, really diminish his uh, potential for Cooperstown? Matt Cain? As, and there's also names that people who uh, just are on the ballot because of uh, their retirement and the length they've been out of the game, They're, they really have no business being mentioned in the same breath as some of the other candidates for the Hall of Fame. Uh, Andre Ethier, John Lackey, Mike Napoli, Johnny Peralta, Francisco Rodriguez, K-Rod, Houston Street, Jared Weaver, and Jason Wirth. Those are the 2023 guys. So who, who would you vote for for uh, 2022? Uh, if you want to give me a call and talk about it, it's 516-623-1240. But to me... The most interesting uh, is the Golden Eras Committee that's, that will be voted on on December 5th. The Golden Era and the, what was the name of it? I, I uh, forgot. I'm sorry, folks. The Early Baseball Committee. Both of those uh, being uh, voted on December 5th at baseball's winter meetings have some really interesting names on them. And uh, guys that you'd love to see go into Cooperstown, like Lefty O'Doul, Buck O'Neill, Roger Maris, and Gil Hodges. And uh, as the day draws closer, we'll discuss that, those guys even further. As I said, when we kicked off the program, that uh, Mr. Islander, Bobby Nystrom, was supposed to be with us tonight, but I got a call from Bobby late in the afternoon that he had some family commitments and an emergency that he had to take care of. So we hope to bring him to you uh, in the near future, perhaps on November 21st. We'll, we'll see if Bobby's available for that date. Other than that, uh, Brian, I think we'll take a break, and we'll be back right after this. Stay with us, folks. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. Gina, good evening. Hello, hello, hello. How are you, Gina? I am fine. I'm here in Los Angeles right now, and uh, it's been a whirlwind of activities here. Not yes. stop for the last... Two weeks. Yeah, I just <laughs> want to crazy. take a minute to congratulate you. Uh, the last week or so must have been amazing. Tell us a little bit about uh, the the comings and goings in Cleveland. Well, I mean, 
You know, when when we first realized that we were actually going to be inducted, we were pretty excited and all. But I got to tell you something, man. We are all still feel like we're floating on air. Yeah. I mean, it was really an incredible thing to have all those people cheering for you. And I felt like we all felt a very genuine um, appreciation and respect from everybody, from Paul McCartney, from Angela Bassett, from uh, you name it, whoever was there we met, from the Foo Fighters, all the guys in the Foo Fighters. And, I mean, everybody was just so nice. And, and Drew, you know, she gave us gave us our little uh, trophies or whatever the hell you want to call them. Right. Uh, um, awards, rather. And, and it was it was like, it was so nice. I just can't tell you how lovely the whole thing was. Way better than I expected. I expected it to be like a rush, rush, crazy thing, and it was, you know, it was pretty chill considering, you know, everything yeah. has to go on exactly what time it has to go on. And we're, we're, we're all still pretty high from it. I got, I really, it's pretty incredible. Just amazing. Now, who would you say were some of your drumming influences, Gina? Oh, geez. Well, of course, uh, my two, the two, the two reasons that I, you know, played drums and wanted to continue playing drums was it was Charlie Watts and John Bonham. Ah, okay. Uh, they were my idols, and I loved them both. They're completely different styles, but uh, I loved them exactly for that. Um, Charlie was just steady, like like a rock, you know, right. like the glue keeping that band moving along and keeping it all together and keeping it tight and real straightforward, playing only what was required to make the song shine. And and John Bonham was you know, had the most incredible fills and his footwork was phenomenal and it worked beautifully in that band. It worked perfectly for them. Um, you know, he, he filled in the spaces the way they needed to be with, with incredible fills. Um, mm-hmm. I, so yeah, I love them both for different reasons. And of course, I, you know, grew up loving those bands and still do. Wonderful choices, Gina. That's for sure. Now, uh, I, I spoke to Danny Serafin, uh, a few weeks ago. Oh, Chicago. Right. And he he mentioned to me all the folks that used to come and go at the whiskey. Now you guys played at the whiskey. Who used to come down and see you and who did you run into there? Oh Christ. It was a who's who back in the days. Yeah. You know, first of all, well we were like the house band at the whiskey mm-hmm. and the Roxy. And when different bands would come into town, especially bands from the UK, we would open for them. You know? Right. Um so, so whoever came into town, we'd open, like when Madness first came in, uh, in 1980, and the specials, and, uh, it, it was just an incredible time, uh, for the punk scene, which we were a punk band, our roots are punk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like when we play live, that kind of shows, um, um, of course, when we made the record, it was, it sounded a little bit more refined, but that was because I, Richard Goddard, our producer, made me slow everything down, but, um, <laughs> um, back, back in the day, you never knew who was, gonna, who was gonna pop in. It was, all the bands that were playing, you know, the guys in Van Halen, whoever was playing around at that time, were in and out, you know, the people in X. Every, everybody was, you know, friends and supported each other. It was a, it was a great it was a great time. You know, I'm, I'm so lucky that I came out here when I did. Because, um, whoa, the music scene was incredible. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Yeah, it sure was. Now, I saw the documentary again today. I watched that on Showtime, and uh, to to see that you guys toured with Madness. I'm a big Madness fan, and the specials, yeah. and uh, as as everybody had the button, uh, you, you release, we got the beat, and everybody had the if it ain't stiff, it ain't worth a f. Uh, we yeah, yeah. we all remember that stuff. Now 
you guys were like the stray cats. I kind of equate you like that in the way that you kind of struggled here a little bit. You couldn't find the way. You went to England and made it, and then you come back here and you're stars. Well, you know what happened? We left for England thinking we were going to be huge successes in England, and it really didn't happen. Mm-hmm. What we did do in England is, you know, well, that was a school of hard knocks for us because, boy, they did not like us. Right. They, the audiences, were, they, they weren't the least bit interested in us, and they just thought we were these little, you know, cream puffs from Los Angeles, California, you know, <laughs> uh, coming and messing with their whole national front scene, which is like a bunch of white supremacist idiots over there. At yeah. The time. A lot of those folks followed, followed the specials, uh, um, uh, Selector and all those bands that did ska. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they didn't like us. So, so it kind of backfired. But what we did get out of that, um, we, we became way, way better at our instruments. We became real professional on stage where we could deal with any kind of crap that people were throwing at us, literally, literally, literally and figuratively. And, you know, also while we were over there, we, did a single deal with Stiff Records, and we did we got the beat, and you know uh, it, it became an import here. And while we're over there, you know, trudging away, um, we get back here, and we got the beat had become like kind of a hit in the club scene. All the DJs were playing it, and you know then we got back here, and you know we could play the Ritz in New York, and you know it wasn't just little clubs; we were playing theaters, so it changed a lot. Um, and that's really what started it going, was that single from Spoon Stiff Records. An interesting point, Gina. Gina Shock with us tonight on the program. The towels that you guys wore on the cover of Beauty and the Beat uh, were returned to Macy's by your manager. Now, too bad there wasn't an eBay or or an Internet oh or anything. God, yeah, right? right? Yeah, that you, you know guys what? would have made some cash there. No kidding. I, as, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm outside because I'm sitting. Our manager, Ginger, from back then, is here visiting me right now. Oh, cool. I had my, uh, last night, as you know, I have my book out, Made in Hollywood. Right. And um, I had my uh, book signing uh, last night at a gallery and my first uh, uh, photo exhibition at a gallery here on, in uh, Mr. Musichead on Sunset Boulevard. And it's so cool, man. I sold 19 prints of, of my photographs that are in the book. Nice. Uh, so, and, and, and I'm going up to San Francisco, going back. Well, I live in San Francisco. Um, I got more press to do here, but then I'm going back, uh, Wednesday and then next weekend, um, is my second gallery opening at, uh, St. Joseph's, um, Art Society. And I am super excited about that as well. Um, a whole other new area for me, but something that I've always loved photography and I've always been into it. And hence my book with, you know, Made in, Made in Hollywood was originally just supposed to be a, uh, a book of photographs, but um, as it turned out, I started, uh, my book publisher said, hey, do you feel like writing a little bit? I was like, geez, I'm not a writer. I I have all these photographs that I've collected over the past 40 years, but <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. Anyway, as it turns out, looking at those photographs, it became very, very easy for, for me to start writing about them. You know, what was going on at that moment in time and what was going on, you know, uh, all around the whole scene and everything we were exposed to. So, I do write, there's several, lots of stories in the book, as well as some great photographs, and all of them are my, everything in that book is my, all my personal, uh, from my, well, all pers- personal possessions of mine. Right. As a sideline, I just want to mention to the folks, if you go to barnesandnoble.com, you could get a signed copy of the book. That's what I did. I picked up a, a nice, uh, autographed copy of, uh, Made in Hollywood, 
And uh, it's sweet, yeah, I did sign a bunch of them. Yep. Uh, when I first, when they first got, they sent some to me. Um, but that's so funny you br- bringing up the towels and all that because Ginger Canzanaria is, is just sitting in the apartment right now, and we're we're talking and reminiscing. Last night was a magical night. My God, it was so much fun. Oh, lots of people showed up. All my friends yeah. and family, and you know, it was. Really, really a cool scene there last night. Now, in 82, Gina, you guys toured with the police on the Ghost in the Machine tour. What did you pick up from the police? Besides, you guys jumped them in, in, the, uh, in the charts. Well, they, of course, were these incredible musicians. <laughs> they were really great at their instruments. And, we, you know, we felt like we had a, lo- a long way to go. And they were super professional and you know, we just felt like they were miles ahead of us, and we'd watch them play every night. And it, that was just great because uh, we, we, when Miles Copeland, who managed them, um, said, you know, ask Ginger, you know, do you guys want to come on tour with the police? We said, of course, yes, of course we do. We went from playing clubs to eighteen to 20,000-seat arenas. Boom. Right. And that yeah. changed everything. That changed everything because then, you know, then came Saturday Night Live. Then we sold a million records, and we we were off and running. It was, uh, I guess it happened, you know, faster than usual. But I'm telling you, Miles Copeland, being the smart guy that he is, putting us on tour, opening for the police, really a smart thing to do, you know. Right. Because we were exposed to huge crowds then. Now, you said in the Showtime documentary, Gina, that being in a band was like being the best of friends and the worst of enemies. Talk about that a little bit. You know, um, I think in the band, what I stress mainly, and, and if you read the whole thing, is that ultimately we are a family. This band's a family, and we fight like family. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say some really crappy things to your to your family that nobody else would dare say. Right. But you know, if somebody attacks them, you'll kill them. <laughs> it's like, but you know, I mean, we we all, um, you know, we know how to get to each other. We we've we've been. This is the longest relationship that any of us have been in, you know, besides growing up with our family, mm-hmm. our blood family. You know, none of us have been in relationships for 40-some years. So we know each other very, very well, and we know how we know the triggers for each of us, you know. And so, you know, uh, but, uh, but, but, but now, you know, as, as, as we've gotten older, I think we completely appreciate our, uh, each other a hell of a lot more. Um, we've learned a lot. We were better communicators. And, you know, back then we were, we were just kids growing up in public and, you know, learning as we go. There was no manual to, to, to tell you how to be a, you know, a rock star. No. <laughs> how to behave, no. Which, you know, or, you know how, how you do that at the age of 22 or 21 or whatever. It was um, a learning process. And, I mean, we did all right. We're still here to talk about it. That's the that's the great news. Not many can do that. Now, to, to justify our existence as a sports show, Gina, uh, you have a song which is featured in the soundtrack of Bull Durham. I thought that was cool. Oh, yeah. I um, When the Go-Go's broke up for a couple years, I um, I thought, what the heck am I going to do? I don't, you know, I, don't, I can't be a studio musician. That's not the kind of drummer I am. So I thought I'm going to put a band together. And I... I did that, um, and what's really, really uh, a funny thing is, is that the fellow that became my partner in House of Shock um, is Vance DeGeneres. That's Ellen's brother, 
So, oh, you know, okay. Ellen would come out here and do, you know, uh, the comedy store, do all these little comedy clubs here in L.A. when we were in the middle of doing our record, uh, which is just so crazy. And one thing Ellen said to me that I never forgot, she said, Tina, if I ever make it, can I buy your house? <laughs> and I just thought, Jesus Christ, you could buy the block, babe. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, um, yeah, we, so, uh, Miles Copeland managed us. I went to Miles first and I said, Miles, are you interested? He loved the music. Started rehearsing at his house and, um, set up a, uh, a show at the Whiskey. And we did one show and got a record deal, which was pretty amazing, I thought. Right. Um, and so, th- so, th- so that was a great time, that house shock thing. And they were on Capitol and, uh, I guess Capitol had the soundtrack, so that's how I got Middle of Nowhere um, on the Bull Durham soundtrack. Right. Okay. Now, we got Gina Shock aboard with us tonight. The Rock Hall induction. So we'll go back to that. I saw some vids <laughs> on YouTube. Uh, we're looking forward to the show on November 20th. How was the audience reaction to the band that night? Oh, Christ. It was electric. Nice. It was just fantastic. i got to tell you, when we came out and we started... Everyone stood up and danced for all three songs. Nobody sat down after each song. They just kept standing up the entire time and dancing. And it was really cool. And then we get, you know, finished playing our third song. Drew comes out and, uh, you know, talks about us, does her little speech. And, I mean, it, it was, oh, it was just so, such a wonderful feeling. Magic. And it felt really genuine. That's, that's, you know, it was, it felt like there was some genuine, uh, love in that room <laughs> yeah um and uh it's just a night i'll obviously never forget um and i i swear i still feel like i'm all pumped up still i can't i'm having a hard time sleeping yeah can't come down yeah i know i, I can imagine now the, yeah the the new book made in hollywood all access with the go-go's what started out the project um I, you know i've been i've been wanting to do a book for decades and the girls have always encouraged me to do so. I just, the, it just felt like a daunting task to try and put together all, all these, the photos that I have. I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of photographs. And when I would pull them out to look at stuff, friends would come over and I'd say, oh, let me show you this photo. We get laughing at it. Or the band, I'd bring them on tour sometimes and we'd get, get hysterical laughing about all the crazy shit we used to do. And so I thought, you know, I just have to find the right person. Well, I did. A year and a half ago, I met this fellow, Steve. He came up to my house, had all the stuff laying out in the living room floor, and he was like, Gina, you got a treasure trove here. Go goes, this stuff <laughs> is just incredible. We're going to, let's write up a, you know, proposal and let's get a book deal. So we wrote up a proposal and we got our book deal. Right. Well, and that's oh. how that happened. And it was just, it was finding the right person to help me put it together. And then, of course, when it was time to actually pick the photos, I had picked out. 500. So, of course, you had to get rid of half of them. Oh, boy. Uh, it yeah. wasn't easy because it, it's hard to be objective about your own stuff. And, you know, I took every one of those photographs and, like, Steve would say to me, well, do, well, does this mean more to you than the other one? I was like, no, they all meant something. That's why I took the damn photograph. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? You might not get why I took it, but I know why I took it. Well, all the girls have because a book it now. Me at that moment, you know? I'm yeah. Sorry. Oh, all the girls have a book now. I th- I'm not sure about Jane, but uh, no. Um, actually, it's it's Belinda, Kathy, and myself. We we three have have books now. Doesn't doesn't Char- uh, Charlotte have a kids book? Not that I'm aware of. Okay, 
All right. Yeah, I, I thought I saw that on eBay, but I'll have to go back and Maybe look. Maybe she's doing that in, in a suit, with a pseudonym. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't think she does, so, but. Now, what's next for you? What's next for the Go-Go's? Uh, well, what's next? Um, I am continuing on my book tour. I will be in your territory um, starting the 15th, and I'll continue doing my book tour in New York City and the surrounding area uh, for about 10 days. Then I'm coming back here, and around December the 1st, I'm going to start rehearsing, getting ready to rehearse with the rest of the band, and we're going to do, I think, six shows here on the West Coast towards Christmas and New Year's Eve. Um, Then next year, we have a tour booked with, (coughs) excuse me, Billy Idol in the UK. We're going to be um, special guests, (coughs) excuse me, we're going to be special guests with him, and we're doing like... Wembley and like all these great oh, arenas. Oh wow, great! Leeds, Leeds Arena. So that's going to be June and July, and they're starting to book shows uh, next year in states. And we're also working on a project that hopefully will come to fruition next year. Um, looks looking real good. I think it'll be really cool, and people will be surprised. But we're working with some really quality people on a project that hopefully will be out next year. So you guys are back. We're back. Yeah. Big time. And nationwide, as as they say. Well, Gina, it's been a pleasure. I thank you for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend some with oh, us back geez. here in New York. The book again, folks. It's titled Made in Hollywood, All Access with the Go-Go's. And uh, I wish you stay well, Gina. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to get to the East Coast because that's where I'm from. Well, we're looking I'll, forward I'll, to seeing you. You got it, kiddo. Thanks a million. All the best, Gina. That's Gina Shock, folks. We will be back right after this. Hang in there, folks. All right, folks. We are back with Sports Talk New York here on WGBB. Bill Donahue with you on this Sunday evening. Ah, We had a pretty good show. We were supposed to bring you Bobby Nystrom tonight at 8 p.m., but as I said earlier... He had some family commitments, and he called me and uh, asked to reschedule. So we hopefully will bring him to you on uh, November 21st when we may have uh, another guy from Western Canada with us, Randy Bachman of the Bachman-Turner Overdrive, and uh, we look forward to that. We're working on a couple of other guests uh, for you. We still have to have Sid Fernandez back. We're talking to Steve Traxel, a uh, couple of other guys. Uh, some surprises for you. Again, look forward to the Hall of Fame elections on December 5th. It'll be on MLB tonight. Uh, did I say December, Brian? Did I? Yeah. <laughs> it's December 5th, folks. And, uh, look forward to the election, as I said. Roger Maris and hopefully, God please, Gil Hodges. Let's get Gil Hodges into the Hall of Fame and correct the travesty that's been going on for years. Uh, without getting Gil Hodges in the Hall of Fame. I, I thank you, good folks, for joining us tonight on Sports Talk New York. Again, thank my guest Gina Schock from the Go-Go's, the new Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, my engineer Brian Graves, and, of course, you guys for joining us. Andy's up next on Sports Talk New York, so stay put. You don't want to miss it. See you on the radio again Sunday evening, November 21st. Till then. Be safe, be well. Bill Donahue here. We're wishing you a good evening, folks.
views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.